Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Best day of the week for this week. Because this is the last time you're going to be hearing Ari Wasserman on a Monday with me for a good while. Because Ari's going to move to Friday starting next week. And then we're going to have shows that come out right after the game's in. So you're going to hear them Sunday morning while you're making your breakfast. Now, a little birdie said Ari might be the first guest on one of those. So you may hear Ari pretty soon after this, but Ari, this, we're, we're close. We're so close right now. It's almost less than a week. We're going to have games. I can't wait. Uh, and that's actually a, a kind of a sneaky banger of a game, uh, starting off next Saturday. Um, uh, Nebraska, Illinois, you kind of pumped it up a little bit and I think it just got a little bit juicier this week, didn't it? Well, so we, we talked about Nebraska, Illinois for like 30 minutes last week. And then the news comes out I think that was, was that Monday or Tuesday? And I was like, well, either we're geniuses for talking that game up or we're idiots because we wasted all our, all our stuff, all our takes on it. No, I think that the takes just got boosted. Everything that we were talking about became more uh, prevalent as a result of the news. So I would say genius side of the, of the coin on that. One. I, I'll take it. I'll take it. It is, it is very interesting what is going on there. And so if you have not heard... Scott Frost, Nebraska, under NCAA investigation. Now, take that for what it is. There, there's not a lot of teeth in the NCAA right now. But it's for analyst coaching, which is something everybody does. And it's for accuse, an accusation of having secret workouts during the pandemic, which is not something everybody did. In fact, that's the thing. If, if you're talking to coaches around America, that's the thing that'll tick them off. If they hear about that, that it's the same reason they got so mad at Arizona State that they were bringing recruits to their complex during the pandemic when nobody else was. Everybody felt like they were kind of in that together. And this is the part that really makes them mad. I am very surprised that it's not a bigger deal or it's not being viewed as a bigger deal than it is. And I think that the Arizona State actions are worse than the Nebraska actions because the Nebraska actions are, you know, getting players who are already on the team together, whereas Arizona State was getting people from airports and different parts of the country to come into it's the still, program. It's still the same thing, though, because you've all agreed to abide by these these rules. Right. It's two different coins, sides and, of the same yeah. coin. But the idea of doing that, to me, based on, on what it was like in the moment, worrying about those sort of things, was the unbreakable rule where everybody was in it together. This isn't about winning or losing. This is about safety, protecting our players, and doing everything that we can to get this pandemic over with. So if you were somebody who didn't respect the pandemic, regardless of how you felt about it, you were doing not only a disservice to you and your players' safety, but you were also stabbing everybody in the sport in the back. And it almost felt right. worse this way than it would have been just a cheat in a regular year, whether it means a bag man or a recruit. This one was a little bit. So like when I saw that, that frost was accused of this, I just was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. But like, here we are a few days later and it's, people are just like, well, he better win or he's going to go home. And it's just like, I thought he might be fired for that. Just the second I read that. Well, and you asked me this before we started recording the show. You said, okay, why is Herm still coaching? Why is Scott Frost still coaching if people are this mad about it? And the answer for Herm is they could be really good this year. 
You know, they, they've jettisoned a few people, but you notice they haven't jettisoned the important people because they think they're going to be good. Nebraska's a little bit different situation. I, I think this is one where he was going to have some time. Now I don't think he has any time. I think he has to win now. I think this is just one more thing on top of everything else, which is them losing. And and the very the very cynical part of me goes, wait, they had secret workouts that nobody else was doing and they still stunk last year? There's no hope for these guys. It's the same thing that happened with Arizona State. They had all these players come visit when they weren't supposed to and their recruiting classes still stunk? Yeah. But if and I would that, have asked you in the, the middle of the pandemic, though, Andy, which one do you think is worse? Uh Cheating by getting people uh, on campus when they're not supposed to um, during a pandemic or just getting bagmen during a regular year? Which one would you have said? Well, you know how I feel about bagmen. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving people money for being good at sports. But no, I, I, I just the only thing, the only reason I think this is because, you know, people feel differently about the bagman. There's some people who are like, you can't do that. And there's a lot of people like, yeah, it's not. It, I, I don't think there's anything morally wrong with it. In this case, everybody sort of agreed, hey, we're in this boat together. Let's all just try to abide by this. And yeah. I think that's that's where it, it kind of ticks some people off. But I, I don't I don't know that anybody's going to get fired for it if they don't lose. I mean, look, ultimately, everybody gets fired for losing unless you did something really, really, and really I bad. Think I, I miscommunicated this, and I, and I want to say it the right way. It's not about whether or not we feel bagmen are good or bad, but right. for a long time in the entirety of the sport, bagmen right. bag and cheating, that happens. was like yeah. the thing that you could not do because that's yeah. the thing that you're caught red-handed, you're the cheater of all cheaters, you're gone. Right. Whether or not it was morally right or wrong, that's well, a different like discussion. Jim Trestle is a good example. Jim, Jim Trestle got caught lying to the NCAA about impermissible benefits. Like, if that had happened now... Well, he wouldn't have lied to the NCAA and he would have kept his job because he wouldn't have felt the need to lie to them. But, but during the, the time he the lied pandemic, to them was because, yeah. But during the pandemic, I would have thought if you get caught messing around with these rules, you get caught doing something that risks a player's safety, you get caught doing something that um, kind of made the pandemic feel less important than it was while the entire recruiting world was shut down and the entire sport was shut down that you have no chance of surviving it because in the 2021 world where everything has to be done by the book socially, this to me is the worst thing that a human being could possibly do. But, but and you, the know, fact you that, know what it tells me? It tells me they weren't ready to fire Scott Frost yet. If they were right. ready to fire Scott Frost, they would have used that to fire him for free. But I would have thought in the and, midst of the pandemic that they would get rid of an established winner who did something like that. Like to me, this, this is no. more serious than it. It felt like it would have been more serious. Like when we first got the Arizona I, state allegations. I was like, holy crap, this entire staff is going to get fired. And like the fact I, of the matter is, it's like, they're still going, like nothing happened. And it's just like, wow. I don't think anybody's getting rid of winners for breaking NCAA rules. anymore. I think they've figured out, but this is bigger to. than NCAA rules, Andy. This is like public safety. We're supposed to be well, talking no, it's, about. Right? It's still an NCAA rule one way or the other. But I, I really do think they don't, people have figured out. You don't have to get rid of winners. You can, you can keep winners. You can slap them on the wrist. You can do that. And that's what will happen with Frost if he wins, is he'll get slapped on the wrist and he'll be like, okay. But if he loses, he will get fired. And my guess is 
Not that they will try to fire him for free. If you have not read our, our pal David Ovens' story, where he talks to the lawyer who represented David Beatty, the guy who got fired at Kansas, and he's currently representing Jeremy Pruitt against Tennessee. If you haven't read that story, read it. And, and you'll understand why I'm saying there's no way they're going to try to fire him for free over this. But I can definitely see them trying to settle with him. They would owe him $20 million bucks if they fired him at the end of this season. If they decide that he's lost too much and they want to get rid of him, my guess is they will offer him a certain amount of that money, but not all of that money, and just to make this be over. And if he wins, Ari, they're going to keep him because you don't have to fire winners anymore. Yeah. So just kind of like what is the thing that you can do um, in 2021 to get fired if you're a winner? And the answer isn't, is it nothing? It's certain, I mean, crimes, committing crimes, probably, that will get you fired. Yeah. Because they can definitely fire you for free if you do that. But yeah, this one, this this just felt a little bit more to me like uh, than cheating. It almost, it's well, just, it feels a little bit like just stupid. That's the key word there. Stupid. Because if you had secret workouts and you still weren't very good, that scares me a little bit about this year for you. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of confidence because, you know, they, they've lost players. They're, you know, the, one of their best playmakers. We've talked about him at Kentucky now, Wondell Robinson. Uh, I just, I don't know that I have a ton of confidence in them. And, and they're going to go play Illinois the first week. They're, you know, coached by Brett Bielema. You can, I, I don't care how things ended at Arkansas. The guy is a competent head coach. He's going to have them playing fairly well. And didn't didn't Lovey Smith beat Nebraska last year with Illinois? You you uh, you're gonna get rid of the points now? Just get rid of the seven, take money line. What are they? Two to two. Take the money line. <laughs> I believe it's plus two twenty, Ari. Yeah, so I figured it's, it's a pretty good money line. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I would probably take the touchdown just in case. But yeah, that that scares me if you're Nebraska. And, and I know there's some fans that have already just sort of thrown up their hands. I think the administration probably would like to give him as, as many chances as they could. But they've also forced out the AD who hired him. And, and everybody said, oh, they hired Trev Alberts. He's another Tom Osborne player. He won't just, you know, he won't be the guy who fires Scott. Yes, he will. They, they hired him to fire Scott Frost if he has to. He may not have to, but if he has to, that's what he's, that's what he's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I guess the moral of the story here is you can't stink at football, even. Uh, and if you do something stupid, then you might get fired faster for stinking at football. But you're not going to get and fired cheaper. for being. You might get fired cheaper. Cheaper. That's the key, Hurry. Yeah. He, he's he's due twenty million dollars if he is fired at the end of this season. Having secret workouts in an undisclosed location is stupid. Having official or unofficial visitors uh, on your campus during a pandemic NCAA lockdown where there's more cameras in a bank vault is really, really stupid. Is and both of those coaches stupid. still yeah. have both of those coaches still have jobs. So but like the thing, yeah, the thing with Herm is though you might get a you might get a Pac twelve South title out of this. Yeah. Well, maybe this and is the year from Nebraska. Who knows? <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure about the Big Ten West title. I, I I'm not sure about that right now. I'm not not feeling great. We had another little piece of news, and this is in the in the part of the world that you cover very extensively. Are you cover recruiting? And Travis Shaw, a Greensboro, North Carolina defensive tackle, a five star, committed to North Carolina on Saturday. 
And so this is yet another five-star for Mac Brown, who you always say that if you want to compete for national titles, you have to get the kind of roster that allows you to compete for national titles. You have to get five stars. And you say, you can say, well, they don't, they don't have anywhere near what Alabama has or what, what Clemson has or what, what Ohio State has. No, they don't. But you know how you get, you know how, what you have to do to have 14 five stars on your roster? You got to get one. Yeah. You got to start with one. And now they have three. Is that right? That's right. That's three. correct. That's, uh, well, they're not on this year's roster. Travis Shaw is a 2022 prospect um, who will be on the team next year. But they have signed a five-star prospect in three straight classes dating back. Or If Shaw signs in 2023, yeah. uh, that'll be uh, three years in a row, uh, including five-star cornerback Tony Grimes, uh, four st- uh, five-star defensive end Keyshawn Silver, and now Shaw. So – this is during a time in which North Carolina went from the 09 to the 19 class without signing a single five-star prospect. And North Carolina has done a very good job, not only with the high-end five-star prospects, but they've completely locked down the state of North Carolina um, to the point now where they're beating Clemson for head-to-head battles with their best players in state. And, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, but this feels to me, despite the fact that this is the third five-star commitment for Mac Brown in the last three years, to be the most significant one because now uh, North Carolina isn't just taking the best players in their state, they're kicking Clemson out of their state. And Travis Shaw picked North Carolina over Georgia and Clemson. And in that region, that's a completely different recruiting win than getting a guy like Keyshawn Silver, who was a four-star prospect till he got the five-star bump late in the class, or Tony Grimes, who wasn't even a North Carolina prospect. I mean, this was like recruiting at the highest possible level. And the year after they signed the number 13 class in the country by, I believe, signing 14 or 15 players in their own state to turn around and get Shaw away from Clemson and, and enter this year as a top 10 team, like North Carolina is on the fast track to doing something really, really good, it seems. And it's the thing oh, yeah. that we talked about from the beginning, Andy, right? The cool kids and the not cool kids. Clemson's the last team that went from a pretty cool kid to like the actual cool kids table. And like North Carolina isn't even close to being there yet, but it seems to be trending in that direction. We'll be right back after these words. And look, you can fall out of the cool kids table. Like Oregon was in it and then was out of it. USC was in it and then they were out of it. Uh, you know, Florida, it took them 80 years to get there, but in the 90s, they got into it. I, I they're, they're kind of on the fringe right now. I think they get to eat there two days a week right now. But Well, who is the Cool Kids table? The Cool Kids table is the mean Alabama. Girls table. Yeah, uh, the Queen Bees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Alabama's, well, Alabama's Rachel McAdams, although they're not going to get hit by a bus. Sorry, yeah. spoilers. It's a 20-year-old movie. Um, so Alabama, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. I think LSU's in there. I think Oregon is is heading that direction. Might already be there. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of which program is which. Because Alabama is unquestionably Regina George, right? No doubt. Um, no doubt. And I don't know. Uh, Georgia is. Who's Amanda Seyfried? Yeah, Amanda, I think that's Georgia because she's kind of like in the group, but 
doesn't seem to belong because she's kind of out there. Right. <laughs> I think that's Georgia. I think Ohio State is Gretchen Wieners. She's trying to make <laughs> she's trying to make the Big Ten cool again. <laughs> the Big Ten is fetch. Um, and I don't know. Lindsay Lohan is trying just, to get I, into I just the like mean- Ohio State is Rachel is, is Lacey Chabert. <laughs> yeah. So Ohio State was also on Party of Five. <laughs> and I'm trying to think like who is North Carolina Lindsay Lohan? No, no, Clemson is Clemson, Lindsay Lohan because Clemson's Lindsay Lohan, and because, they also share colors and hair. She started off yeah. as the the nice, innocent homeschool kid, yes, and then and then turned into one of the mean girls. Yeah, exactly, and like was super, like got the best of Regina George, the same way Clemson yes. did a few times with Alabama. That is the perfect example. So I don't know who North Carolina is um, in that in that world, but. North Carolina seems to be somebody who might be able to be eating at that table as long as they follow the dress code rule. So stop trying to make fetch happen. Ohio state. (laughs) (laughs) This is is tremendous. I did not expect the podcast to go in this direction today. I just hope that everybody um, that's listening to this, at least is familiar with these, uh, comparisons because i think they're spot on but well i you know now back, i've spoiled the damn movie so if they haven't seen it they're not they're gonna be like no oh, i don't want to see it um but i do the thing about north carolina is at a certain point you have to start winning so this is a little bit ahead of schedule i talked to mac brown on sunday and we'll be writing a story this week about it um but at a certain point you got to go from recruiting a little bit better to winning more because one five-star commits, another five-star commits, another five-star commits. But what really gets the uh, acceleration of your program build going is having results on the field. So right now, you're looking at a team that's coming into the season as a top-10 team. It has some top-10 talent. has one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, their defensive line should be very, very good. You know, they lost some pieces but still have a ton of depth. Mac Brown said that this is the first time since he's been back and North Carolina where he feels like they can practice because they finally have depth. He feels good about their team. And it's like, if they're over, over, over under win total is 10, you want to see them get to 10 or 11 wins this year and really start to gain some traction on the field. Because then I think that's when this will boost out. So this type of recruiting win is certainly significant, but now pair it with on the field results. And you might actually have a team that's because North Carolina actually has all the tools, right? They've got cool uniforms, great education, Talent rich state, great campus, um, great athletic tradition. I was watching Daz Newsom do do good things in preseason the other night. I mean, they they got dudes playing in the NFL. They're going to have a a first round QB maybe next year. Uh, All of the the, all the boxes are being checked right now. That's right. And if you put them in a position now where they're starting to win, I think that it, it the North Carolina baby blues have all the things that you would need to be a sexy college football program. It's like if Clemson so can way, do it, North Carolina. There's can another do it. school like this that's uh, that I would argue Ari is a, is further ahead in in their development than North Carolina. That's not at the cool kids table yet, and it's the one they just played in the Orange Bowl. Texas A&M is a few steps ahead of where North Carolina is right that's now. This right. is so A&M is is what, what North Carolina can be if they keep building the roster. Like A&M now has the right roster makeup; they just have to win. Yeah, and A&M is just in the unfortunate position where they have a lot more roadblocks on the way to the cool kids' table. Like, North Carolina has a straight path walk to the cool kids' table and has to beat one opponent to get there. It's a punch where, Lindsay Lohan. That's that's yeah, the problem. Yeah. 
Yeah, so North Carolina actually has played Clemson pretty close in the last few years, and we're a two-point conversion away from potentially beating them in the not-so-distant past. And, you know, right now in the ACC, is there another team that you think is better than North Carolina besides Clemson? Because, like, right now in the SEC, you could be like, oh, boy, Texas A&M is going to be very, very good this year, but they have to figure out a way to beat Bama. They have to figure out a way to beat Georgia. And, uh, you know, Tennessee's of the world. and all, I mean, Tennessee sucks, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just a harder conference to navigate. And Florida right. and all those well, things. You, and yeah, like North you might have to – well, you definitely have to play LSU. Auburn might be good. Yeah, you have to deal with all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that Texas A&M, if you were to switch spots and put A&M in the ACC and put that, put the schedule that North Carolina has in front of it. And I think Notre, Notre Dame's on North Carolina's schedule this year, right? Uh, they are. They're, that game's just so that, been too. So. so they do have a have a pretty tough schedule, but you know, well, no, I they, think you're right. They about really that. don't. I mean, it's it it's that Notre Dame game is the the signature game on the regular tricky season opener schedule. with Virginia Tech too. Tricky, but they can sort of lock down the coastal. I mean, they they can they can send a message to the rest of the coastal if they go to Blacksburg and and remember they crushed Virginia Tech last year, just crushed them. So. That 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 game is one I'm watching too, just for the same reason we were talking about with Scott Frost in the Illinois game. You know, Justin Fuente things could go pretty bad because remember Virginia Tech has uh, has a game at West Virginia in week three. Like if you're inconsistent and just can't quite put the the best team on the field every week, Neil Brown will eat you alive. You you got to be careful about that. So. Uh, I am very curious that because Virginia Tech feels like they're in a very much must-win situation against North Carolina or things start to spiral for them. Yeah, I think that maybe now that we're getting into the football season, it might be kind of tough to do. But a good podcast discussion in general would be which uh, six programs in college football are the most likely to make the jump into the cool kids section with Regina George. And I think North Carolina might have been a debatable answer to that question, but I think, and and tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, Andy, but getting a top five player nationally at the defensive line position that had offers from the Alabamas, Georgias, and Clemsons. They're the hardest, a, it's the hardest kind of person to get. Could a recruiting win help nudge you, or does he, do you have to see results on the field? You have to see both things. You got to see both things. I, I think that's the key. You know, like you got Walter Nolan, and I think he's down to his top three. What is that? It's Florida, A and M, and Tennessee. That's right. And so for Florida and A and M to get a guy like that, a, a top top five defensive lineman in the country type player, and he's he's like top five overall he's number one. in the country type player. Yeah. Okay. He's number one now. Okay. Yeah. So that would be huge for both those programs because that's what they're lacking. That's the sort of thing they've not been able to do. And this you know, Tennessee is the would be most even interesting massive, thing, right? not to interrupt you, Andy, but Walter Nolan, and I got to try to figure out a way to get this kid on the phone. But right now, I, I know that the three that you just named were the top three, but he's also considering Michigan. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the four, if you add Michigan to that list, Florida, yeah. Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Michigan, and of course, Alabama's in there because they're always in there. But those four teams specifically are all teams that need that commitment more than anybody can need them for their own. But like Texas A&M, in my opinion, has recruited as they well as the anybody. Least of that bunch. They needed the least of that. Texas A&M doesn't need that. But Texas A&M landing a top five, number one overall player in the country from the South, 
uh, in Tennessee to come back would be significant. But Texas A&M, I think, is already recruiting well enough to be in the in the at least the second pod of of cool kids table on the way to cool kids table. But Florida needs a major recruiting win more than anybody else in the SEC to retain what it had with with Urban and maybe even what they were on the verge with last year on the field. Tennessee has a new coach, and this kid just moved from the Memphis area to 10 minutes away from campus, and Tennessee has worked their way back in. Um, And Michigan, of course, has to prove that it can win a national recruiting battle for a five-star prospect that has offers from everybody because I'm not necessarily sure that they've done that. Now, they have a five-star cornerback, Will Johnson, in this year's class, um, but he's from the Detroit area, and his father went to Michigan, so it's not the same thing. So, like... This is a very interesting recruit because of the kid, the, the programs that are in, in play here. But, you know, when it comes to the cool kid table, like if, ten, if Texas A&M wins this battle or even Florida wins this battle, doesn't a recruit like this change your entire makeup in terms of whether or not you believe them to be on the verge of crashing the cool kid? I would say recruiting wins like this are more important than a random win. It's, it, it is. On the field. They have to play well there. They have to be good there, too. So... And it helps if they're good right away. And, and the thing is, like, if Alabama gets him, you're not worried if, if he doesn't play right away to Alabama because you know there's, they've, they've got it stockpiled. If, if one of these other schools gets him, you would assume he just jumps right in, except A&M. A&M, you know, they'll probably be fairly deep, although they're, they're really old on the defensive line this year, so they're going to go young next year anyway. But, yeah, it's... And they also signed two top forty players at, on the defensive line in the twenty twenty. Right, line. so they're they're not they're they're really not the same as this other group. Like Florida, Michigan, Tennessee, it would be it's huge more for symbolic them, yes. for the other group. the uh, The other group needs it from a symbolic stamp, like of like, yeah, I can actually go out and win a national recruiting battle. All like, I don't think Texas A and M applies to that. They've already done it, yeah, repeatedly. Yep. Now, I I'll be interested to see who who wins that one because, and I, I would imagine it goes. Pretty much down to the wire, so uh, we we will see with him. But I saw him at a camp, and whoo boy, he he moves really well for a dude who is already over three hundred pounds. Well, that's or, the or thing too about these defensive linemen. Every year, there's a few, and, and maybe at the end of this podcast, we'll get into uh, players we're most excited about seeing. And there's a defensive lineman that's on my list, but um, these five star defensive linemen who are six five, three hundred and forty five pounds. And can, there's a certain athleticism. I think that is the secret sauce to the SEC's dominance of the sport. Oh, where they ha- Ari, have you you've seen Jaheim Otis, right? Yes, yes, yes. So Jaheim Otis got offered by Nick Saban when he was in eighth grade. He's committed. He, he's in the class of 2022. He's going to Alabama. This guy is 350 pounds. He wants to get down, I think, to like 335. And and if he does, he will dominate. He will come in and dominate. From like day one, it's it's obscene, and and yeah. you're right. These guys He's tend to go to three hundred seventy-five pounds. Yeah, but there's a certain level of athleticism that comes with these size that, for whatever reason, has become synonymous with the SEC. And this is exactly what North Carolina just picked up. These are the types mm-hmm. of guys that Clemson's been picking up, and uh, you know Alabama and LSU. I mean, these are the guys that win national championships. So. I mean, as much as the quarterback is the sexiest position and everybody likes a nice wide receiver highlight reel or a running back juke move uh, on Twitter, the guys who win you national champion, ask Oklahoma's coaching staff, what's the one thing that has been missing from their national championship hopes? It's not offensive skill. 
It's a it's a big defensive lineman who can clog up a hole and get after the quarterback like he runs a four or five, despite being three hundred and seventy pounds like these guys. And, and are. they may and they may have that this year. And and yeah. that's that that's why I think I keep talking up Oklahoma this year because it feels like that's the difference with with Oklahoma now and Oklahoma before. So yeah, I, I think I think you're right about that. And like even Ohio State, they've had great defensive lines, but the the best players they've had have been on the edge. Always they've the had, edge. Yes, they've had good defensive tackle. I like I love Devon Hamilton, um, Tommy Togiai was, was great. Those are really good players, but they are not like Quinn and Williams level first round. There's a difference between tackle. solid and explosive. Right. I think Ohio State's had very explosive uh, edge rushers like the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. I don't think that they've had very many disruptive interior defensive linemen who will explode an entire offensive game plan with their right arm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Alabama going from Deron Payne to Quinn and Williams was the probably the most unfair thing in the I've history of the seen. sport. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but I, I just, I, I'm happy that we made that, that point because it's not just, oh, who cares? North Carolina signed a five star prospect. No. North Carolina signed an SEC dude that's going to come yeah. in and probably start immediately and is going to be single-handedly worth the entire week's preparation for the offensive game plan. Well, he, ha- he hasn't he hasn't signed yet, so the, yeah, the, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, the show, it, maybe the show he'll goes on until December. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, that's right. Well, but let's, I think it's let's, significant. Let's, let's move our focus to the games on the field this year and, and talk about some of the guys that that we're excited about. There's one guy we have not. I realized this. I was watching ESPNU's top 25 games of 2020. I've been watching a bunch of those lately. And I was watching, rewatching Boston College Clemson and realized that we have not mentioned this guy's name on the podcast this entire offseason. Phil Yurkovic at Boston College. Now, it's interesting because I went and looked up, went and looked up his stats, Ari. They're actually, they're, they're, they're good. They're okay. They're not great. But I was watching him against Clemson and you're thinking, well, you put a little more around this guy, he could be awesome. Funny story. When I was in uh when, when I was at my previous job covering Ohio State for Cleveland.com, I pitched to my editor to go to Pittsburgh uh and write a story or a column about Phil Phil uh Yurkovic and and compare him directly to Terrell Pryor. Now listen. Tell me if you think I'm crazy, but this guy has a pretty big arm. He's six foot five. He's from the Pittsburgh area. He's sneaky athletic. He can move a little bit. And he was a very coveted prospect. And I know that he didn't sign with Boston College out of high school, but I don't think people remember how big of a deal his recruitment was. I mean, I think he was having, he had offers when he was a freshman. And well, he was he was second team all state in basketball in their largest classification. Terrell Pryor, by the way, was also an excellent yes. basketball player. Um, yeah, it, this sounds Western Pennsylvania, six five, two hundred something pound quarterback who's a great athlete. Offers list pretty familiar. Yeah. Offers list Alabama, Notre Dame, where he signed Clemson, Michigan State, uh, Ohio State, North Carolina, Penn State, UCLA, Virginia Tech. West Virginia, Wisconsin, Pitt, Temple, everything. So uh, it's very interesting because obviously he's at the very center of uh, Jeff Halfley's build there. And I don't think people – do people remember how big of a deal the Boston College-Clemson game was going into the week last year? Well, like people were super because Trevor got COVID, so we, we got to yeah. see DJ Uyangale for the first time. And so 
Probably the guy who made the biggest play in that game was another guy who I'm excited to watch this year is Brian Brisset, who was the number one overall recruit last year, came in and, and played right away at Clemson. What, what at, position at, what does he play again? tackles we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. saw him at the opening three years ago when he was a junior, and that guy was dominating people, and he didn't even break a sweat. Yeah. Now, they weren't full pads, and it's a little bit harder to evaluate offensive and defensive lines in those types of settings, but that dude is going to be a top five pick one day. Oh, yeah. No yeah. question about well, it. We, we don't have to say one. We know what day it will be. <laughs> yeah, next it year. will be the 2024 <laughs> draft, and yeah. he will be a top five pick. Yeah, but it's like funny because he's the type of prospect 23, where you could. 2023. Yeah. 2023, yeah. He's the type of guy where you might as well wrap him up in bubble paper when you see him at the opening. Like, he's one of those dudes. Um, and so I'll, I'll tell you one of mine now. Okay. At the risk of, <laughs> I hate to do this, <laughs> but I'm going for it, it. Cause I want to stay on brand, but I cannot wait to see B. John Robinson in a full role. I, <laughs> let's, and this let's, isn't a let's Texas. Let's give everyone the history. Ari wrote a scathing critique of Arizona football recruiting basically by going to B. John Robinson's high school and counting the steps between the University of Arizona campus and B. John Robinson's high school. That was the the most brutal I've ever been towards a, a coaching staff in journalism. And it's funny because it also was uh, toward the school I went to, Arizona. No correlation, but forget the Arizona incompetence thing. Uh, there's a new staff there. The staff's doing much better uh, than the pr- previous staff. But the dude is built like an NFL running back. I mean, when I walked in, he hadn't committed anywhere yet when I wrote that story. And dude looked like uh, who, a guy going into his junior year. And he's fast. He's athletic. He's explosive. And I'm surprised it's kind of taken this long for him to become a household name. I mean, do we think he's going to be one of the top five best players in college football this year? Maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, we'll see. I, I You know me. I'm Mr. I'll believe anything with Texas when I see it. But that guy's really good. I mean, you saw it as soon as they started using him more last year. That guy. No, this isn't play. a Texas's back discussion. This is just their individual players. No, this is a Ken Sark yeah. use, use this incredibly talented running back. And yes, he can. We, we've seen him use some really good ones at Alabama. So, yeah, I think he will be very good this year. And, and you know, we'll get to see him right away. I mean, that 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 first game he's going to have to play well for them to win. You know, they're, I keep telling you, the Raging Cajuns, if if Texas beats them by one, I'll be happy and impressed and, you know, more, more inclined to believe that Texas might someday be back. But, yeah, now he is, he is the top-shelf kind of talent that Texas used to have and do something with. And, and so now it's up to Sark to do something with him. Here's another one. Uh, USC edge rusher Corey Foreman. Who was the yes. number one player in the or country uh, last year? Or, uh, draft um, recruit. I can't talk. Number one overall recruit, <laughs> and usually draft yeah. pick are the same thing. Andy just like, separated by three a few years, uh, but he, exactly. I mean, he's built like a guy who's been in the NFL for three years. And I know this. I said the same thing about Bijan Robinson, but his forearms are the size of my thigh. Um, and the fact that USC was able to keep him home, uh, it's not even so much about what he's able to accomplish this year. But USC in general signed uh, the number one player in their at, at three different positions, all of which were from Southern California in the twenty twenty two cl- or twenty twenty one class. And him staying home was kind of just like the signifying detail that was like, 
hey, Clay Helton has a chance here. If these guys are going to go to USC again, they have a chance. And if he comes out and is already, you know, making plays as a true freshman, I think that's a pretty good thing to to track for USC in terms of their influx of elite level talent. I think that is going to be a very interesting one to follow. And remember, I keep saying the key for USC is be good on the line of scrimmage. And now you've got the, the kind of talent you need at that position that can make a huge difference. And, and they've just got to prove that they can develop those guys on the line of scrimmage and, and make them play well. And they should be <laughs> capable of at least rolling through the South. And then we'll see when they get to Oregon because Oregon has those guys too. But I, I'm with you. That that one, I, I'm really interested to see how that turns out. Uh, a guy I can't wait to see, and he came up during a, a press conference with his coach this weekend, is Jaleel Billingsley at Alabama. This is a guy that, I, watching him last year, I was like, oh, if there's anyone who can look somewhat like Kyle Pitts did, and no no one's going to look like Kyle Pitts did last year. Let's, let's be completely upfront about that. Kyle Pitts is an alien, and it's really hard to find that blend of size, speed, body control, uh, catch ability, catch radius, you, you name it. That said, Jaleel Billingsley at Alabama is a six foot four, 230 pound, kind of tight end, kind of receiver, but real fast, huge wingspan, all of that stuff. But you know, last year he's he's with Devonte Smith, Jaden Jalen Waddles there. You know, some of the year before he gets hurt. Uh, so Billingsley had 18 catches for 287 yards. 14 of his 18 catches were for a first down or a touchdown. That's like the the Pitts stat. I believe it was. I want to say it was 34 of 38 catches went for first down or a touchdown. Something insane like that. But so this is a guy who could be a superstar and who could be a first round draft pick. This is his junior year. This year, but it sounds like he's not doing what Nick Saban thinks he needs to do to reach that potential. Uh, our guy Cecil Hurt from the Tuscaloosa News asked Saban about Billingsley on Saturday, and this was the answer. Coach, uh, you had mentioned at the beginning of camp that um, Julio had some Julio Billingsley had some work to do to, to get back up the depth chart or the depth chart at tight end. Uh, how did that position? Well, that's up to him. That's not up to me. You know, he knows what he's supposed to do in practice. He knows what he's supposed to do. Um, you know, this is not a democracy. Everybody doesn't get what to do what they want to do. Everybody doesn't get to do what they feel like doing. Um, you got to buy in and do what you're supposed to do to, um, you know, be a part of the team and do the things you need to do in practice every day. Uh, sense of urgency, play fast, execute, do your job. Um, no, 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 nobody's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a privilege for everybody to go out there and be able to create value for yourself. And, um, you know, we have scouts at practice every day. Um, so everybody thinks it's just about playing in the game. It's not just about playing in the game. They watch practice film. They watch guys every day. All right, you guys on ESPN, you, you evaluate what happens in the game. All right, but they evaluate what happens every day, what you do every day. So what are you doing every day to create any value for yourself? And, but you got to create value for yourself so that your teammates and everybody gets confidence in you, all right, so that you can, you know, you, you have their confidence when you go out there and play. And, you know, it's, that's up to every player on the team. I don't make that decision for everybody on the team. I try to get them to do it. I try to point out the, the importance of them doing it. 
but it's up for them to do it. It's up to them to do it. So, um, you know, maybe that's not my question to answer. So I'm going to translate Nick Saban to English here. That's Nick Saban telling Jaleel Billingsley through the press, and I'm sure he's told him this directly. If you work like Devontae Smith, you're going to make bajillions of dollars. Yeah. But you need to work like Devontae Smith did. Yeah. Uh, I could listen to uh, Nick Saban through the press for 100 hours straight and never get bored. I, 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 I wish I could say it like him. I, I. Yeah, you got you to gotta dig deep. But I, his, his point is, is very clear there. It's it's he feels like this person has all the natural talent in the world, but has to work every day the way the really good players they've had have worked to make that that leap to being a first round guy. Because look, Jaleel Billingsley is going to test off the charts. The question is, is he going to have the production to match it? If he has the production to match it, he's a top ten draft pick. Especially if if Pitts does well in the NFL this year. Everybody's going to be, go, you know, because everybody's looking for a, a, a Kittle or a, you know, somebody who looks like Kyle Pitts. They're not, th- those humans don't exist for the most part. So this yeah. is a guy who could be one of those guys, but he has to, he has to make that leap. I always find it fascinating when coaches decide this is the moment or this is the tactic I'm going to use where I'm going to freak out or have a <laughs> amazing one minute sound bite to the media in order to try to wake up a player that they know has insane potential because that's all that was. That's exactly what that was. And my guess is there's a bunch of people in all of these guys world, not just Jill Billings. I don't want to say, I don't want to keep singling him out, but in all of these guys who have that sort of raw talent where they could, if the thing, if they do it right and, and develop the right way, become a first round draft pick type player. There's probably people in their world and have been since they were in sixth grade saying, you're going to be first round, going to the league, going to the league. You don't have to listen to that guy. You, you, you've got everything you need already. Well, the ones who actually do listen to the people, like, because, I mean, there's NFL scouts at Alabama's facility. He's not kidding every day. They treat NFL scouts better than everybody else, which is an, a, another podcast for another day. But they, they, just, they make sure those guys are taken care of so that they get all the information they need and they can evaluate the players properly. And... If you are a slacker at practice, if you don't work hard in the weight room, it's going to show up. They're going to notice and it's going to hurt you. And if you're a guy who works like Jonathan Allen worked or like Devontae Smith worked or like Amari Cooper worked, it's going to help you. So because because they're going to see it. And so I, I think if this guy like if that wake up call works, I tweeted this on, on Saturday after you said it, I'm like, I, I, I guarantee you all the other defensive coordinators in the SEC are going, please don't, please don't listen to that. Please don't get that message because we can't cover you if you actually yeah. take that message to heart. Yeah. And, you know, at Alabama, adding that to your offense is just simply unfair. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Do we want more? Yeah, give me one more. I've got two more, but one more okay, is more. a layup for you so that you can. I'm excited to see Emory Jones. Absolutely. I am too. I, I, I think I'll go back to the 2019 Auburn game. Uh, so Kyle Trask gets dinged up. Emory Jones comes in for Florida. And it's been 
he, he's gotten chances to play, and it's not all been mop-up duty, but he's never really had a chance to come in and lead drives when the game was still on the line. And so he leads two drives. He leads them to a couple scores. He looked like a very capable starting quarterback, and that was coming off the bench. And I think Nick, or I think Dan Mullen's probably more comfortable working with a quarterback who can run. I mean, you, you look at how much running they did with Alex Smith. You look at Tebow. Uh, you look at at Dak. You know, those those were guys who were good runners who were also good throwers. Emory's got a good arm. You know, Emory's probably got a stronger arm than Kyle Trask had. The question for Emory Jones will be... He's got one of the strongest arms I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Opinion. But can he okay. process yeah. like Kyle Trask? I mean, the, what, what made Kyle Trask successful... And remember, Kyle Trask replaced a guy named Felipe Franks who had every physical capability you could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. But Felipe Franks would sit there and pat the ball and wait for the perfect thing to happen. You know, a guy to pop wide open or whatever. Kyle Trask would say... On this play, I'm looking for this guy at this time, and I will get the ball out. And that's exactly what he did. Right. And so if Emory Jones can do that, stay on schedule in the passing game, and then add that dynamic in the run game, I think that offense could be very fun to watch. Yeah. And I, I think that he has a very good physical skills, too. You know, he's a mm-hmm. big, bulky dude. He can run somebody over. He can throw uh, really, really f- hard. I mean, I, I remember when he was a recruit, I'd watch him throw from five yards behind him, and it felt like a missile was coming off his hand. And, you know, sometimes players that are really highly recruited, you know, go to programs and they disappear for a few years, and you feel like, well, the world has forgotten about him. But it's like Emory Jones could be a household name in the SEC in a month from now. You know? And, I think you're right. You know, in a rare situation that used to happen all the time that just doesn't happen anymore where a guy waited three years to start. Yeah, and maybe he'll be better off for it. You know, some weird shift in college football has happened, and I don't know exactly when it has, but there has been, and it has been in the last five to ten years, where recruits have no longer accepted the process of development and expect to play soon, Maybe, especially at the quarterback position. And maybe that's because they're more physically um, apt to play earlier than they ever have before with the personal quarterback coaches, the openings and the camps. I, I, I have a theory. I have a much What's more the theory? theory. Their parents have dumped so much more money into their careers. They want payouts. And, and they're saying, you need to be somewhere where you can play right now because we didn't spend all this money yeah. for you to sit on the bench. Because this isn't the way it used to be, Andy. It never used to be, you know, I'm going somewhere and I'm going to start at quarterback day one. And if I'm not, uh, I'm going to hit the transfer portal. And it's like, I, I think we wanted to cover this too, but it's just like, the Ohio State situation. I was talking with Bill Landis on the Ohio State podcast uh, before C.J. Stroud was named the starting quarterback, and it's just like, well, they've got three quarterbacks on the roster, and now four that Quinn Ewers has showed up that were top hundred player, uh, top hundred players at at least one point in their high school careers, and are two or three of them going to transfer immediately after these? It's like, when did that become a thing? The plan used to be go to a college. No, you don't know how to do anything when you're a freshman. Get bigger in the weight room. Study the playbook. Wait your time. And then year two, year three, or year four, when you're a redshirt sophomore or a redshirt junior, it was your chance to play. And now it's just like, okay, I'm really good. I'm going to go play right away. And if I don't, then I'm going to leave. And I think there's something to that because I think quarterbacks are ready to play as freshmen now. But on the other hand, too, it's just like I'm really rooting for a guy like Emory Jones who went to Florida and had to wait his time and actually has a chance to to 
not only excel in the uh, Florida offense and in the SEC, but also have a chance to be much better because he learned the system, he physically developed, and is now in a position to capitalize on the things that he put in. And I think that's like, is that like an underdog story now? That used to be the plan, but now it feels like he did things differently. Although I, I will say, like Charlie Ward did that. Charlie Ward waited three years to start. He started as a, a fourth-year junior. Like that—that that probably shouldn't have happened. Like he probably should have. All due respect to Peter Tom Willis, Charlie Ward should have started as a freshman or a sophomore, probably. Yeah, and I'm not saying that if a freshman comes in and is really, really good, that he shouldn't start. That's not the point. My my point is just that the expectation of playing immediately is more prevalent than it's ever been. And the consequences for not playing more uh, immediately means that you're well, going to leave Well, and I think the, the coaches have picked up on this too. They, they, they're just going to sign, you know, at, in the, at the cool kids table, they're going to sign a four or five star quarterback every year. And so there'll be some years where they sign two and they'll, and they'll be the, the Mac Jones type player or the Kyle Trask type player that they sign be- below the five star guy. But they expect those guys to leave. They just they sign them expecting that maybe one of four of them will play. Yeah, and then they have to re uh, hit the transfer portal or uh, go back into the recruiting realm and get two or three extra guys and have to cover their butts after they lose those guys. But you know, part of the thing too, I guess, of uh, being the cool kids table at the quarterbacks position is that. You get four options at any given point that you get to evaluate on the field. And the one that you pick was the best of the other three or four. And then you get to start over again. So you have more options in your program to choose from. And I guess the one beauty is, I guess if you're a a, a top 10 program, is that you can sign quarterbacks at an unprecedented level. Where in the past, quarterbacks were like, you know what? Uh, They just signed a five-star prospect in last year's class. I'm not going to go there because the depth chart is blocked. Now you you got quarterbacks going wherever they want, regardless of the depth chart, because they've got nothing to lose by signing with these places. They can go in and go to the place that they really want to go. Don't care about the depth chart. And if they don't win the job, you know, you get a year of experience at the program you wanted to play for, and then you're out and you can start somewhere else. And we all know how uh, valuable these quarterbacks are on the transfer market. The second that they hit them, you know, how many teams every given year are looking for a ready-made quarterback who wants to start year one. And I think that you're going to start seeing programs use that as part of their recruiting strategy because, you know, there's three or four or five, maybe even different ways of getting quarterbacks. And that's kind of like the Oklahoma strategy right now, which is going every other year, blue chip, five-star off year blue chip. So there's a natural progression, or you can do it the way Ohio state does it and just have five on campus at once and let them, you know, duke it out and, uh, you know, whoever leaves, leaves, and then you have to replace them the other time. Or there's Cle- the Clemson did that in 2018. That's exactly what happened at Clemson in 2018, uh, where you had, let's see, who left one, one guy left to go to Jacksonville State, and then you had Hunter Johnson leave, mm-hmm. and then Kelly Bryant left mid year, and then, yep. and so, and then Trevor Lawrence hits his head against Syracuse, and all of a sudden you're down to Chase Bryce. And yeah, that, that's how that works sometimes. By the way, apologize, apologies to Peter Tom Willis. Apologies, apologies. It was Casey Weldon and Brad Johnson there ahead of Charlie Ward during Charlie Ward's uh, earlier. So Casey Weldon, who who played more, and Brad Johnson, who wound up, I don't know, starting for a Super Bowl champion. 
and having a son who's the LSU starter now. Yeah, well, I'm happy you caught your error there. Uh, it's always good to make good on your way. It was, it was, it was nagging me in the back of my head. I was, I was getting worried about it. Okay, you had one more player who you were very excited to see. So, who, who's your last one? Trey Henderson, uh, freshman running back at Ohio State. Um, I think that it's possible that he will be one of the best running backs in the country by week four of his true freshman year. As I got done, as I just got done complaining about how freshmen want instant gratification. Um, I am very curious to see how this guy goes uh, into the program. Ohio State's in a position where they absolutely need a running back um, to start right away. They have that been wasn't for two years. Yes, they're they are in a. Trey Sermon woke up a little bit at the end of last year, obviously, and then got hurt on the first drive of the. But national I mean, Trey Sermon game. wasn't on the roster. This, you know, did I say Trey Sermon or Trey Henderson just now? You you said Trey Sermon woke up okay, at the end. Yeah, but 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 no, Trey. I mean, but remember, Trey Sermon was a grad transfer. He wasn't a guy That's they right. had. So they they have been – it is strange for a program that has pumped out so many good running backs that they've been in the position the last couple of years where they've, you know, they had a, a transfer who had to lead them last year, and then you know maybe it's a, a freshman this year. Yeah, and they've got two top 100 freshmen on the roster coming into this year, and I think that can happen the second that you have one uh, recruiting miss and then one – player that you signed in the class before it not turn out to be the way it is, but it's just kind of funny, you know, despite the fact that these programs like Ohio state and Alabama are recruiting at the level that they're recruiting, you know, they're not immune to having holes in their roster. Uh, it takes one or two misses. And the next thing you know, you're down on your depth chart and it's just not where you want to be. Uh, but this is one of the best running back recruits I've ever seen um, to be a five-star running back. I don't think people appreciate this, but uh, recruiting rankings are, based on NFL draft positioning. So to be a five-star running back, you have to be infinitely better than it takes to be a five-star corner, just based on the value of the draft. Um, and he's a very, very, very good prospect. And I'm excited to see how he looks, uh, you know, early well, on in his career. That's going to, that's going to be great. Now, Master Teague was on, uh, on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. So he is he a could freak. Be, he could, he could break out this year too. That offensive line is really good. That that's the other piece of that is there are, when you're at the cool kids table, a lot of times you start five NFL guys on the offensive line, and that's that's where Ohio State is. Ohio State is moving all American tackles inside to get other tackles on the field. Right. I mean, they have they have NFL draft picks starting at every single position, and I think it's possible that when it's all said and done, there might be four first round draft picks on their starting line this year. Whoa. <laughs> that is impressive. Well, I, I I can't wait. I'm so excited. To get this thing started, we are only five days away from actual football, and I, I could not be more excited. So, Ari, when next we talk, games will have been played. Oh, God. Tingly. Tingly.